you see uh you see Newcastle have gone one nil up already? I'm trying to put the game on in front of me, but because NBC <laughs> forced you to have 500 apps and don't tell you where they broadcast it, I'm finding oh, it's on the NBC Sports app because why wouldn't it be? Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, one's going to be on Peacock, and then we'll switch it. Just make a decision. Yeah, I'm sure every American listener is uh, is feeling you, feeling you in the gut right now. I hate getting up in the morning. I haven't had a chance to check, so like I just go downstairs and I just gamble on yeah, YouTube you- TV or NBC, like. <laughs> You just have to take a punt at it. And I'm also annoyed on the East Coast here. They're not showing the Browns versus the undefeated Cardinals at 4 p.m. because they're showing bowling. Bowling. Bowling is quite fun, though. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) one one vote for bowling. (laughs) That's probably going to be it. Yeah. Yeah, for real. Um, That is strange. Well, welcome to episode 145. Uh, I am joined, as always, by Adam and Craig. How are you, boys? Very good, thank you. How about you? I'm all right. I'm all right. Big. I had a baby shower yesterday for my, uh, well, my upcoming daughter being born in December. So I'm feeling a, a little worse for the wear. Uh, and then had to watch a rerun of our game at 11 p.m. last night, which was just not what you want to do when. That was the result. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Um, we've obviously had the international break off. Uh, how was how were your international breaks? As uh, before, we get onto news that broke in the international break. We'll touch on that after. But how was your how was your week off? Yeah, it was pretty good. Um, I actually I actually had a couple of my friends come and stay with me this week. Um, so uh, they managed to get into the UK, bef- uh, the US. Sorry, before everything changes, you know, from the restrictions perspective. So. Uh, week off work as well um seeing some very old friends for the first time in a few years so i, I can't complain too much i weirdly did the same thing i had a, uh, had a friend over as well so it was it was it was good time uh you but you were back in the the motherland josh i was yeah it sounds like we all had good time in for an international break <laughs> to to actually do uh to do kind of good stuff instead of just worrying yeah, about better than football. some people uh international break that's yeah for sure. um yeah, yeah uh, it was great um didn't do a great deal while i was over there because it was only for a week and it was mainly just to see family and go to a wedding on the saturday uh and but yeah it was it was excellent um i will say and for the american listeners and the U and the uk listeners they're they're gonna get a bit of a shock to the system here because i feel like i've just read nothing but uh people upset on both sides of the pond but the and a lot of it is now defunct because we're at a stage where it can be but it is mind blowing how organized and structured the COVID stuff is over there. Like it puts the U S to shame heavily. And I know the UK, a lot of people who live in the UK say it's a mess. You have no idea what a mess is like your, your infrastructure that is clearly being dismantled right now because they can't, you know, you're coming towards like that point where they think it's chilling out a little bit. It's still a lot better than what it was here at its best. There, well, there wasn't anything here, right? I think it was hard to compete with just just chaos. Mm, yeah, um, yeah there was nothing. There was nothing. Yeah. Just flags and guns and 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 masks being burned. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> and that was in the blue states, not alone the red. <laughs> right, yeah. that's, that's fair too. Yeah, yeah. What a weird time. It is a weird time. Um, 
but yeah, it was great. That the only thing I will say is when you're both traveling home, because I, I know that Craig, you're thinking about it sooner than later. Uh, Heathrow is an absolute mess. They are not structured or organized at all. Um, they have all of the, uh, you know, the scan machines where you like scan your little face and stuff. All of those are closed. So it's Pete. You have to go through a person. Every single person has to go through a person, and you've already had like a test like you or like you're not having to have one whatever like i don't understand why you have to see a person you've already done all the documentation like you've had it before you get onto the plane but they have to see you all again and it was awful it was awful the one the one place that you want to be super organized uh very strange i've always liked like those machines sometimes they don't work for anyone um but i never have a problem with them they tend to help me quite a lot um, but it's strange that they're forcing you through um, a human being, every single person. Yeah, it sucked. Um, well, there was some two big pieces of news in the international break. One very much regarding the Albion, one kind of. Uh, and let's touch on the first one, the Newcastle takeover. Um, it's been coming for a long time. Uh, it's definitely pertinent to us because... Whenever we're in a relegation battle, they're generally down there with us, or were. They're probably not going to be in the future. Um, and it's a team that we generally have a lot of look against. We do pretty well against them, especially under Potter. We've, I feel like our goal difference is probably plus 12 against them over the course of four games. Um, Newcastle fans, absolutely delighted. Apparently, no one will ever know the struggles of uh, supporting a team under Mike Ashley. Uh, and the big evil Mike Ashley is gone, and the humble, loving, and giving Saudis now run the club. Uh, how are we How are we feeling about that? And I know the US are great allies, so I suppose we should be careful. But uh, I'm sure, sure Joe Biden isn't going to be listening to this anytime soon. So how, how are we feeling about this Newcastle takeover? <sighs> Well, the the pictures that are coming out with Newcastle fans wearing the Saudi headgear and things like that is just it's just obscene. What are you doing? Uh, I guess I'll come at this from a slightly different take because I think a lot of people are outraged for 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 good reason. But for me, the ship has already sailed. We've already set a precedent in the Premier League that uh, nation state entities can buy teams. They have done. They continue to do so. I mean, how do you think Roman Abramovich got his money? Sort of hardworking, nine-to-five job. No, he he, he capitalised on the, the the fall of Soviet Union and, and did some pretty unsavoury things, which will come out at some point in the future, I'm sure. Uh, the the governments of both our respective home country and the country that we live in in the US right now uh, both facilitate money and do a ton of stuff with Saudi Arabia. So why should the Premier League be held to a different standard than the country that it, that it it's essentially represented by in the, in the UK. So I think it's, I think it's bad for football, but it's because we hold football in this idyllic idea that it's this fan run situation. And it's just not anymore. It's, it's, it's the height of capitalism now and not to sound too socialist or anything like that, but (laughs) that's just the way it is. This is just another stage in it. And uh, I think you just have to appreciate as a fan of Brighton football club, that we have someone in charge, um, that actually likes the club and <laughs> goes in and, and, and sits in the away zones with the fans. Can you imagine that the Saudi representative sat there with the tsunami? No, obviously not. Like just, I think we just need to be thankful for what we have, frankly. 
Yeah, I think building on that as well, I guess, yeah. If you're going to be upset or annoyed with, you know, this sort of takeover of Newcastle, you you need to be annoyed with the the Man Cities and the Chelsea's too, because you have to hold them to the same standard. Um, So uh, one thing, obviously, a brand new term has been coined in terms of sports washing and and being able to... um, mask certain certain things that you're doing um in foreign lands um and bringing this to the forefront so that you can maybe get away with it um but it has got people talking in terms of you know what is and what isn't right um the the german methodology in the bundesliga always comes up when something like this happens um but to adam's point it it's nothing new um you know we've, we've seen it numerous times this is just another one um that that we're seeing uh but yeah i think just that again echo that you know we, we need to be um very very happy and very blessed with with what we've got um and that is someone that truly supports the club um and handles it very well um so i think it's important to note but it's nothing new at the same time yeah no i, I pretty much agree with you both i think my my biggest uh point of not frustration at all but just kind of like are you serious is the newcastle fans saying that like nobody knows what Mm. they went through uh to then get it get in in bed with the saudis is quite funny um but it's 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 exactly as you said adam it's it's that constant you know build on build on build of that kind of peak capitalism stuff and we keep hearing on all of the the five lives and the talk sports and the sky sports all these pundits and they've been saying it since chelsea so they've been saying it since Abramovich, the bubble's going to burst. The bubble's going to burst. It's not. Because we're now, if you'd have told them, you know, even when Abramovich took over, okay, well, now nation states are just going to buy clubs. Like, they would think you were taking the piss there. Like, I, I don't see any point in time that this business bubble bursts unless there's a financial crisis or something like that. You know what I mean? But yeah, this is, this is just one of those things that's going to keep going and going and going. And like you said, we're, we're very lucky to have Tony. We're very lucky to have the the legacy he already had by virtue of family being in the club as well. And it mm-hmm. just so happens he has loads of money, <laughs> like, which yeah. is really, really helpful. And I think and I, my my stepdad is uh, is a Newcastle fan. Um, he was obviously both happy, but like he was he was in a weird spot. Uh, because he also accepts that they're not a great, <laughs> great group of people. Um, but he was saying, and he and he said the other day, you know, if I if I had the choice of having Saudi Arabia or a Newcastle Tony Bloom, I would pick a Newcastle Tony Bloom every single day. And yeah, I think that's like that's good perspective. He, he's seventy one years old. He's watched them be really good and really shit. So like, when you have people like that from a reasonable point of view, I think that speaks a great deal towards just how good Bloom is from the outside looking into. I think in terms of how it kind of maps back to Brighton as well, as you said a little bit earlier, Newcastle typically in and around the area in which we sit in the table once you, once you get into the, you know, the, towards the end of the season, it's going to be interesting to see how disruptive they become because as we've seen with all the other clubs that get these massive potential injections of cash, it sometimes takes a little bit of time to move them to the destination they want to get to. You remember when Man City had the takeover, like they started out and made some splashes. Rubinio was the big one on the final day. That was that, that 
big point that no one expected. But, you know, they were signing Gareth Barry and, and players like this. So it's not like tomorrow Newcastle are going to turn around and start to, you know, sign Mbappe. Uh, they're still going to be in and around the area in terms of competing for talent that we're going to be looking at, looking at as well. So I think we still need to be sort of mindful of Newcastle. And if anything, it's, it's a challenge for us in the next one, two, three years that they'll still be able to poach players in front of us that we're looking at. But now they've just got wads of cash to get them. So frustrating a little bit from our side as well. I think from another point of view, though, if their recruitment team stays the same, we're not going to be too worried, are we? I mean, if they're going to be splashing the cash on Joel Linton's uh, and, and people like that en masse... I feel like we can kind of just let them do their thing and see how long it takes for them to have to overhaul. Because like you said, like Rubinho, eh, like he never really adapted. And then you've got people that they signed on that first season, like Joe, what did he do? Like appalling. They they yeah. continued with that recruitment team that had them towards the bottom of the Premier League for a couple of for a couple of years. And they struggled to improve really until they overhauled the whole system. And Newcastle are a broken club in that respect. They, their infrastructure is appalling. Like they have, when you think that we began the journey that we're on now in 2009, and we're starting to see the benefits of that in 2021 and 2020 and 2019, these Newcastle fans, you splash money all you want, but there's a lot of players that are not going to want to move to Newcastle. Not, not when teams like Arsenal can offer them the same money. Like not when teams, you know what I mean. Yeah. When they when they can live in London, they might Newcastle in four years might well be a better team than Arsenal. I mean, they could be now, but you know, <laughs> you know what I mean. Like, it, I'd rather have Callum Wilson than anyone Arsenal's got at the moment up front. Uh, that is so, true. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what I mean. It's it's one of those things that that they're not in a desirable place in the country. They are not, and that's that's stupid. But it with all due matter. respects to any listeners that are based up up in the northeast. It does matter, but at the same time, we're now talking, you've probably seen those charts that have come out with it, like the wealth of potential wealth of the owners. It's orders of magnitude more. Like the, the, this investment fund has the ability for a player that let's say is valued at 50 million pounds. They can come in and say, we'll pay you 90 million and they won't care. And the player's agent will go, you're going there. Yeah. And, and that's the difference that it makes. I think what's also going to be sad about this is, and maybe this sort of, so I know we've got to talk about another event that happened in the international break, but it segues a little bit to, to our opponents this last weekend. If you look at the wealth of Delia Smith and whomever it is that owns Norwich, like, they're absolute minnows. Sides like Norwich that get promoted now from the championship that are now dealing with what is essentially it was a top six, top eight. We're eventually going to get to a point where it's, there's a top 10, top 15 clubs that have such a massive disparity in wealth between the bottom clubs in the league and the, and the guys that come up from the championship that it's, we're just going to create that Euro, Euro league that everyone fought against because it was unfair. We're just going to create it in the domestic league. And I think that's what's really annoying. And you, you get the, I guess, it's the same sort of thing, right? Just to add towards that and what we see over here in the States is that almost that borderline franchise model where yeah. you're then going to get to a point where that, that group at the top isn't ever going to change. Um, and, and you start seeing... Um, adverse effects probably down the pyramid you know us the uk people are very proud in terms of the pyramid that we have in in football and, and how that works um th 
this is just another stepping stone to completely re remove that or, or make it pretty worthless um, in the long run. Um, when you do have the Norwiches and the Watfords that come up because they were the best in the second league, only to falter. Um, I know it's the first eight games, but it, it, in terms of you're looking at what, what Watford did this weekend, you look at Norwich. Yes, we struggled. We'll move on to that. But it, in terms of two points from eight games, Watford, you know, sort of getting bounced about a bit, beating them comprehensively earlier in the season. Um, there is that disparity now, and it's only going to start getting bigger. Um, it almost feels like we were at the perfect time in, in when we actually did get promoted and managed to stay up, you know, the last four seasons. Um, so that's my that's my worry. I think more than anything, the the Newcastle thing is just, you know, another one as I as I keep saying. But you know, it, it keeps it's just going to when it's going to stop. And what Josh said around, you know, when is that bubble going to burst? It will burst when there's 15, 16 teams in this league and none of them move. I think that's well said. Um, so let's move on to the other one, because uh, this one is much more Albion-centric. Uh, I think it was last, was it the weekend it happened? Or was it the Friday or so? I think it was kind of... Whatever was the biggest night in Freshers' Week in Brighton is probably how we can <laughs> pick it out. Yeah, yeah. So, well put. Uh there was an Albion player arrested, uh, confirmed by the club, ongoing investigation, bailed until November 3rd. Uh, I am of the belief that there will be, due to the allegations, there is liable. It's likely to either be cleared or dropped or pursued at that point. Um, it's not likely to go on until I think it's November the 18th is also the other official date. Um, but from what I can gather, it's liable to be all or nothing once we get to November 3rd. Um Pretty clear who it was. Uh, he's uh, a box-to-box -box central midfielder with the number eight on his back. Um, and one of our, if not quite comfortably, our best player uh, in this season and the season gone. Um, we missed him yesterday. I think that much was evident. I think I saw a couple of people uh, online say that if they, they believe that if Basuma was available for the last three games, we may well currently be sitting top of the league. And I'm hesitant to say that they're wrong, given that we're only a couple of points off. Um, those couple of points difference uh, well, may well have made it. Um, he's 24, 25 now, should be known better. Uh, was in the squad yesterday. I posted a tweet, um, and I'm, I'm sure you probably saw it. It was the poll uh, of, of what fans thought should happen. Um, in terms of whether he should be played, uh, whether he should be in the squad and just left on the bench, or whether he should be out of the squad altogether. I had a couple of people say, why on earth is the middle one an option? That's a stupid option that should never happen. And I responded to them and said, that's exactly the stupid shit that football clubs do. And sure enough, he sat on the bench and didn't be involved in the game. Um, where, where, do we, where do you two stand on it? Um, I have an opinion on it, and I'll give you it uh, with no problem at all as well. Um, I'm just curious, where where are we sitting here? Because uh, there's a lot of different opinions and a lot of different thoughts and feelings around it. So, I'll go. I'll go. Yeah, to you, Craig. I'll leave that with you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it's such a tough one, isn't it? You know, the poll obviously was very divided anyway. Um, apart from the whole benching, um, you you have to try and just. It's, what most clubs will do is they'll tend to just play it off and say investigations ongoing and just sort of ignore it. 
if you like, but you know, with with media outlets and you know the outlets such as Twitter, Instagram, etc. It's very hard to ignore, and everything goes along. And um, we saw it unfold in our WhatsApp group in terms of you know the the bits and pieces of information that were coming out from people, not media outlets. And and you can make your dis- decision and make your opinion up based on you know what other people have seen. Um, I think the tendency is to just um, just trying to alleviate the situation by not talking about the player, not bringing any attention to that player. Um, I think that's probably the justification behind not leaving him out completely because that adds fuel to the fire, but also not starting him and ignoring the situation completely. Um, I can see how they've come to that decision. Um, Personally, um, I mean, it's it's a tough one. I don't think there is a right and a wrong answer. It's a very gray area, but I I don't think I would have included him in the squad. Um, And I, I would have just sort of uh, kept him away. Um, he's been off for a, a couple of games in terms of injuries as well. So it wouldn't have brought, you know, a massive red flag, but I, I would have just not had him in the in the squad. Yeah, I, you can see why they did it. Um, you, you don't want to make it seem like uh, the club sort of uh, an admission of guilt by leaving him out of the match squad. Not starting him would go the too far the other way. So it's a very fence-sitting process, it feels like, from the club. Um, obviously, we don't know anything as we talk about this, this. Everything is speculation at the moment. Um, I think there, we're all aware enough to know that there is no smoke without fire and all this kind of jazz. So something happened. Something happened. We don't know what it is. Who are we to say what happened? Um, as a fan of the club as a fan of Basuma, the player and seemingly the person from what he presents on social media. He seemed like, seems like a good person, obviously a stunning footballer. Um, who knows what he's done, but whatever it is, it has now got a question mark against his name for the foreseeable future. That puts any moves that he has to larger teams at risk. Um, it puts him as a question mark amongst the fan base uh, and it puts our season in a question mark with a question mark next to it. As you said, he has a massive impact on games. He is the best player at the club. Um, from a non-footballing perspective, if he has done something, uh, it's my hope that he is dealt with with the full force of the law if he did, in fact, do something that was uh, guilty or untoward. Um, because at that point, you put the football aside. Uh, it's a shame uh, from a footballing standpoint and as a fan, uh, but he, if he committed a crime, he should deserve the punishment that comes with it. Yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? It's tough because, at, you know, it's obviously all speculation. We don't know. Uh, I think just personally, I think the signs that he is in the squad at all points to a fact that the club may know more than we, of course they know more than we do. Uh, that's, that goes without saying that, you know, there are the police will have had some kind of communication with the team in ter- or with the higher ups in the club, the legal team at bare minimum, uh, as to what this situation looks like. Um, I am optimistic uh, that that whatever those allegations were uh, are probably not as heavy as what could have been, given that he was arrested in a nightclub. That gives you immediate red flags, um, but given. At the same time, we're in a period of time where the police are under immense speculation, rightly so, given the Sarah Everard murder, 
all of that coming back up with the sentencing and the problems there uh, and just around the world, really, uh, you know, uh, they they probably acted quickly and heavily and appropriately because that's something that they need to be doing these days with a high profile situation like this. Um, it's tough for me when I'm on social media and I'm seeing a lot of people hanging him out to dry already. I am a fan of his, but at the same time, I think from a legal perspective, and it probably is because I was doing that at university for so many years, like the innocent until proven guilty stuff is so important that trial by social media is so problematic just across everything, right? It doesn't matter whether it's it's him or uh, whoever else, except for Benjamin Mendy, it seems pretty clear. Him and Deshaun Watson, I will not include in that caveat uh, because when you have 26 people accusing you or you're raping people while you're on bail, I would say that's probably a little bit different. But when <laughs> for the majority of the cases, you know, where it's not clear cut, I think a lot of people online are kind of saying, I don't want him at the club ever again, even if he's not guilty because he's just paid them off. That sort of stuff, you know, like you can't be thinking that way. You've got to trust in the law. If you don't, what's the point in, in dealing with it in the first place? I'm optimistic uh, that, that he's going to get cleared. And that's not just for him, but for the girl in question too, right? If he is cleared, whether that happened or not, it probably means that she's not as affected as she could have been. Who knows? Do you know what I mean? Um, so it's tough. I hope he's back soon. November 3rd is almost definitely going to be the time that we find out one way or another. Um, but as you said, and I support that 110%, if he is found in any way guilty of this, he should be dealt with with the full force of the law. He should be dealt with strictly and efficiently by the club. Uh, I would personally be happy never to see him play again despite how much I would love him from my footballing brain to see him play again. Uh, from my moral standpoint, I wouldn't want him to put on a blue and white structure ever again. Um, so it's a rough one because it just so happens to be our best player. When I heard a player had been arrested outside a nightclub, another band came to, <laughs> came to mind. I'll be honest with you. I'm sure that you can both do the deductions on who that would have been. Uh, that I'm definitely not going to go into just in case, but uh, it wasn't him. It was it was Bissouma, So, the, uh, ten seconds on a soapbox, very quickly, because the social thing is stupid. It, it's okay to both feel disappointed in Bissouma, the footballer, and the person and the situation, um, and also then be hoping he is dealt with effectively from a, from a legal standpoint, from a policing standpoint. There, there, there is a, you, you are able to think like that. You don't have to either hang him out to dry or say did nothing wrong because you're a fan and you're just deluded about the actions that could have occurred. It's okay to think on both sides. Yeah, completely agree. That's well said. I'm glad you did that because in today's world, there isn't a lot of room for that. Yeah, it's um, just uh, binary. That's it. You take one side, you go with your yeah. tribe and that's it. Yeah, and I think Craig nailed it. It's a grey area, right? We all have different feelings, but I think we're all very much united on the fact that if found in any way guilty, he should be punished heavily. Um, and Absolutely. Yep. That's just how it is. Uh, on to the game itself, on to what we actually want to discuss in terms of Albion uh, 28 well, I minutes. I don't know if want is the right word. Mm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. Um, the Albion lined up with the exact same team they uh, played Arsenal with. Um, of course, no Basuma in the squad. Uh, Tarek Lamptey on the bench again. Uh, Mwepu returned to the bench. 
Um, and Danny Welbeck now out uh, for quite some time with a hamstring injury. He's had hamstring surgery. Uh, who knows what that means? Tarek Lamptey was out nine months with that. Uh, nobody seems to know exactly whether that means well Welbeck will also be out for that amount of time. Uh, Potter has certainly not ruled him out for the season, and I feel like they would have if it was that severe. Um, so who knows what that return looks like, but he is also a great deal older than, than, than Tarek Lamptey and, and has had plenty of injuries in his time. Um, the starting 11, Bissouma aside, because I think we're all just, let's just forget about that for now, because he was essentially just there to be there, I agree. Um, what changes would you have liked to make, or were you happy with that starting 11? I think I was happy. Um, I, we we did really well against Arsenal, and you know we talked about that quite a lot. Um, I think tactically it was a bit different, but we'll, we'll go into that in a little bit. But I, I don't think I would have made any changes or you know, in that respect, alter anything that we were doing because I thought the Arsenal performance was that good without the goals. Um, I was, you know, hoping that the international break for a few of them, you know, would, would definitely help. Um, but I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have made any changes personally. So um, I wasn't surprised nor, um, you know, disappointed. We speculated last week, didn't we, about um, what the lineups would be if players could come back. And I think the, the most disappointing thing that we saw here was was Webster not even being part on, on the bench. And we'd hoped he would be back for this. I think if he were fit, he would have gone straight back into the team. But outside of that, with with, with Welbeck gone um, and with the depth that we had on the bench, when, when Basuma is out, it's now quite clear that Potter wants to play with this sort of three central midfielders that while none of them are particularly defensively minded or capable, uh, will throw some bodies at the problem and structure it in that way. So I think in, in many ways, the team sort of picked itself in that regard because you played the three central players that could play there. You don't really have a ton of others on the bench that can play in those positions unless you move the move some people around a little bit or go more attacking and bring in a McAllister, which you did towards the, the latter part of the game. Yeah, I think personally, uh, I, I would have preferred to have seen Veltman in the back three and Lamptey start. Um, obviously, Potter didn't think he was ready for that. And I will obviously see. He didn't look it either, Josh. He didn't look he quite didn't. there. He looked, he looked a little bit slower, uh, a little bit. And it was funny because when he was tracking back, you could see he wasn't sprinting. It was that kind of, and it was still quicker than half the team anyway, but it was, yeah, it, was, yeah. it was that half, half-hearted half stuff. And if that's the case, I have no problem with it. It was, you know, it was evident on the fact that he came on that he, he wasn't quite back to what he should be. Um, and why should he be? He's had nine months out. Um, that would have been my only change from the beginning. Hindsight says that that was probably a bad decision, so I'm glad he didn't do it. <laughs> um, but the game itself was was an odd one. Um, it was very much uh, what we've been watching for the past uh, 24 months, maybe 18 months, like a year and a half, two years uh, under Potter since we've since we've been playing against the the lesser teams, so to speak. Um, and we've very much been in and amongst those lesser teams for most of that time. So there's no disrespect to them. Um, we we come up against these teams and they put, you know, today uh, or rather yesterday, especially uh, they put every single player behind the ball except for two. Um, and they sat on the edge of their box, every single one of them, uh, and made it very difficult to break them down. We dominated possession, 65% possession, dominated them in just about every 
facet of the of the game really bar and set pieces um which is annoying because that's something we're generally quite good at Pukey and Sargent gave us more problems than I've seen many strikers this season give us uh, with their with their decision to just chuck the ball over the top. And it was a tactic that I felt Potter didn't adapt to very quickly uh, or even at all at times. Why do you think that was so effective? Because I felt there was a lot of times where Sargent especially was just in acres of space. What Craig, you mentioned tactical changes or tactical differences to the to the last one. What do you what do you think it was about that game that that left him wide open where players like Smithrow and Saka were not? Yeah, I think obviously we've mentioned that Norwich have, have sort of come out to this game very defensive in terms of you know getting eleven men behind the ball. I, yeah, I'll, I'll redact that. I don't mean like defensive in that, you know, they, they got back when they needed to. And given that we had a lot of the possession, that means that they were back a lot. You know, that that's the part of the puzzle. Um, I thought Josh Sargent was actually very good. Um, I thought his touches meant that, you know, he had a couple of sloppy ones, but you have one in the first half with a little Zidane turn and, you know, he's, he's in and behind. Um I think it's just pace in terms of what Sargent brought to that and, and making quite intelligent runs from one center back to the other. Um, so that the tracking was a little bit off. Um, but I think you're right in terms of Potter didn't adapt to it. And it, it took a while for us to figure that out. Um, I don't know whether we just wrote that down in terms of we'll get, we'll get the hang of this eventually and putting trust in the players to just alleviate that decision or, or mitigate it in, in any way that they could. Um, but it's, it's a very good question. I, I, I don't know why it didn't change as quickly as we thought. Here's what I think happened with it is with, with this tactic where you're, you're not playing the full three forwards, if you want to call it that, with Welbeck out, you're not starting Connolly. You're playing more of that three, five, two setup. Um, to do that effectively, so you're not just bogged down the wingbacks have to push up like crazy. And we saw that with Kukureya. He almost became that pseudo left winger for a lot of the time when we had some possession. Uh, we saw Gross push up. We saw Moda push up because they want to do that. Um, they're not that fast. Lalana sat back a bit more. Not really a defensive midfielder. Um, Veltman would push up on the right side. That meant that as soon as we didn't complete our move, scuff a shot, get intercepted, whatever it was. The counter's on. Kukurea all the way up the pitch. Uh, who's back? Adam Lalana, Dan Byrne, Shane Duffy, and Lewis Dunk. Uh, Sergeant's going to win that foot race every time. Uh, and then he can, or Puki can hold up the ball and play him in. And that's the problem a little bit with this setup because of the personnel that we have to put in there because of injuries or because players aren't being picked. Uh, when we lose possession high up the pitch, we can be counted on really easily. Goes without saying that a certain player would have would have fixed that issue. I think Bissouma catches them and and pretty much nullifies Sergeant and or Pookie at any one time, and then you've got two centre halves at minimum able to focus on the other one. Um, the Lana, Gross, and 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 Moda, we've we've talked about them. Pretty much every game that started together in, uh, or at least when Moda came on at halftime, I think that time as well. Um, they are very lightweight in that midfield, uh, with probably the exception of Moda. 
um, in terms of the physical battle. The Lana and Gross are not players that are built to be able to do that. Um, do you think there is anybody in the squad barring Bissouma that, that you think could come in and replace one of those players right now and make a difference? Uh, or is it a case of just hoping and praying we've got what we've got? I, I don't think so. We talked about this a couple of weeks back. Who, who, well, you can't replace Basuma for one, um, but we don't have an out-and-out defensive midfielder now. The, the, I think my first choice would have been Alzate. Well, he's not coming back anytime soon. Uh, and we sent everyone else out on loan. Um, so I, I, for me, no. I think we're going to be forced into playing these tactics a little bit more. Um, with Webster coming back, it might allow you to move some pieces around a bit more. He might at home games switch back to that different tactic so that Connolly pushes up uh, further and, and we play a little bit more aggressive. Um, but I don't, I mean, look, what, look at the bench yesterday. Uh, who, the, the, the way he got more attacking was to bring Lamptey in for Veltman. It's an attacking switch, but obviously quite far back. Uh, Solly came on for, for Kukureya. Uh, I believe. Oh, no, yeah, he did. And then yeah. McAllister came on from Moda, which is an attacking movement. I don't know what happens in a game where you get the goal and you need to get more defensive. I don't know what, I don't know who comes in then. I, yeah, I can't see it either. Um, just in, in terms of what we've got available there, you know, <clears throat> and Weputs has a very timid start in, in terms of what we're looking there from a, an attacking perspective and a box-to-box perspective as well. But again, he's no Basuma. He's not, you know, a, a CDM in that role. Um, yeah, you're, you're spot on. I mean, in terms of when we do have Webster back, you know, where where does that go in terms of who comes out? And, you know, because I'll say defensively, I thought Dan Byrne was obviously great yesterday as well um, in, in terms of saving a few a few very good counter-attacking options for, for Norwich. But... Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I, I don't know what changes. I don't know who comes in um, to you know try and take control of that deep midfield area. And this is where you miss Ben White a little bit because Ben White could play that role. Was he great at it? No. Was he better than Lalana Gross or Moda? Yes. Um, I'm I'm wondering whether Potter will start experimenting with because we'll ha- we'll now with with Webster back we'll have a surplus of players that can capably play centre-back. I mean, one or two of those players will miss out each week. Can one of those play a little bit ahead of those centre-backs and slot in as a a, a more defensively-minded midfielder? I don't know what he'll do there, but I do feel like we're one injury away from this being challenging. I'm glad you said that because my next point, I thought I was going to get buried. Uh, But I do think there is someone who can do that. Uh, and I think that's Joel Veltman. Right. His comfort on the ball uh, and his ability to pass the ball, he's very, very good. Um, I think if there is any of those players, when you look at Shane Duffy, Dan Byrne, Lewis Dunk, uh, Webster, and Joel Veltman, I, I feel like there is one of those players that stands out as someone who I would dare to try make uh, a, a, a makeshift central defensive midfielder. And to me, that man is Veltman. Um, I wouldn't put Byrne there. Uh, he's just, it's just not something I would see working. Uh, the left back was something that we fell into by total surprise and it's been great, but it's not, you know, he's not a central defensive midfielder. Duffy, definitely not. Uh, he's came back and has been phenomenal, but central defensive midfielder, he is definitely not. Dunk is far too important at the back. 
Uh, and Webster, I'm a massive fan of him. I think we all are. But there's just something about him that I wouldn't feel as comfortable as Veltman uh, in that central defensive midfield role, especially with Lamptey coming back. Uh, and it is going to take time, but with Lamptey coming back, he would be the one I would dare push into that central defensive midfield role. It's it's not like um, so like Potter's not going to experiment, right? We've we've seen it before. We saw we saw it the first game of the season, putting Webster right back. You know, uh, the only thing with Feltman that I would be worried about is um, his proneness for a yellow card. Like, got it fourteen minutes in, um, and and changed that left hand side because you have to be careful for seventy five minutes of that game now. Um, I thought it was a very silly challenge to make 15 minutes in. If you're facing someone one-to-one on that right-hand side compared to two or three people coming through the middle, um, he'll he'll rack up a serious number of fouls because he, he, I say he's a very good tackler, but he is prone to, you know, a, a yellow card or two. Eight yellow cards in yesterday's game. Scrappy affair. Let's talk about that, actually, because I wanted to bring that up later on but this is the perfect time for it um the aggression charts in the premier league the the booking charts uh villa are in fifth with 17 yellow cards uh southampton are in fourth with 15 yellows and a red uh burnley are in third unsurprisingly uh with 18 yellow cards and no reds leeds are second uh with the the bookings with 17 yellows and a red and albion are out in front Zero red cards, but 22 yellows. What is it uh, about this team that is producing that amount of bookings? Do you think it's a lack of discipline? Or do you think that we are... For me, I think it's a way of adapting to the fact that we are going to be counted on by the by the lesser teams. Completely and agree. This is, this is their way of dealing with it. They are thinking we will take the extra cards and the extra bookings for those cynical challenges where they stop those, those breaks. Because there were so many games last season where we took a win to a draw uh, or a draw to a loss because of those breaks. And I, I, I'm of the opinion that this is an intentional sacrifice that Graham is more than happy to make. I absolutely agree with it. I think a lot of these attacks, we saw this yesterday, a lot of these were tactical fouls, um, aside from maybe Veltman. But even then, there was a nice little move happening uh, on the break. It goes back to what we talked about a little bit before. Outside of the the wing positions, we don't have a lot of pace in the team. Um, means if you're pushed up, you have a ton of possession of the ball, you're up in the final third, you lose the ball, the other team's running at you, uh, it's a choice that gets made. And I think that's been instilled by Potter on the training ground, like take the yellow card and, and what, what that's better than conceding the goal, because we know if we concede, then we put ourselves in the uncomfortable position of coming back and having to score more than the other team, which is not where we want to be, especially based on how clinical we've been in the last two games. And then, and then you get into, I guess the the trade off there, right? In, in terms of if we're if we're counteracting the draws, and you know instead of losses, and like last year, and we're taking those cynical fouls now, you're going to get to those suspensions pretty quickly in terms of Lalana, Duffy. You know, the, I think at the back we we're relatively comfortable in terms of our options. Hayden Roberts is on the bench. Webster's due to come back. You know. I, I don't mind a few yellow cards, additional yellow cards in that back area, because when you do get five yellow cards, someone can swap in and we'll deal with it 
with relative ease. It's the it's the central midfielders where we're already having a problem, where Lalana's racking up and making a very silly foul yesterday. Um, he didn't need to. Um, he was wasn't far back enough, and there wasn't enough danger to warrant it, in my opinion. But split decision, it is what it is. But when you start getting up to this, you know, the five yellows in that area, where we're already looking at you know a very thin or you know a very difficult area to try and replace or trying to slot in different people. That's where maybe we're going to see those draws that we would have got turn into losses because we're now missing people um, in key areas because we're getting more suspensions due to this tactic. Or I say tactic, quote unquote, because you know we're not a hundred percent, but we're we're pretty sure that it's it's a taught uh, skill that we're we're saying to take the couple of extra yellow cards to help alleviate the situation in games. And and speaking of fouls, uh, can we talk about what happened in the twenty-two minute mark uh, where? Mope, according seemingly to VAR and the referee, um, decided to fall down of his own accord when he could have run on and just passed it into the net. Um, why was that not given as a penalty? Or am I just on my own here in this opinion? Baffling to me. Um, sometimes I, I, I think VAR does such a good job in a lot of things, even if it goes against us sometimes that I try and give it the benefit of the doubt, uh, especially when it's tight decisions like that. Not so much the offsides and stuff like that, but when it's like fouls, red card offenses, stuff like that. And you watch the same footage they watch and you think there's no good angle here. Like they're all crap. Like this is a rough one. And it's same for the NFL. Like sometimes when you're seeing if they've like crossed the plane or like if they hit the, like before they go out of bounds, it's like, well shit, like there's no good angle here. Like how, how are they supposed to know? But for the game yesterday, there was, I think there was three brilliant angles where you could clearly see the contact that was made. Um, and I think Neil has been the victim of something that is one of my like room 101 football hates uh, in terms of the things that I wish we could just bin off. And I know I'm not alone on it because I hear professionals talk about it all the time. The idea that if you stay up or try and stay up, you don't get a foul. Like you're being encouraged to go down. And that is just absolutely diabolical. And I think Neil tried to stay up. He was clipped. If he'd have gone down on first contact, I think he'd have got a pen without even having to go to VAR. And you should never be a victim of your own, you know, ambition or whatever you'd call it. Like you, you should never be a victim of your own play style to try and keep on, keep yourself on your feet. That should be applauded, not punished. And you have people like the lad on Arsenal fan TV calling Mopay a cheat. Well, now he's going to now you just it's a self-fulfilling prophecy now because you're not giving him decisions when he's trying not to cheat so now let's just go down on first contact and is it cheating no because contact was made is it you know gamesmanship yet like it's one of those things that just frustrates the shit out of me because why are you doing that just give the decision and when you have var it's literally tailor-made for for a decision like that it comes to that that clear and obvious thing again that we're seeing such a clear divide in last season compared to this season as well, where you know these sort of decisions aren't being given. Um, and yeah, I I don't have a defence for it because I think Josh, to, to your point, there was three very good angles. There's no ambiguity there in any in any way. So why isn't it clear and obvious? You know, what is the excuse there? And I I, I use the term excuse, but what's the justification behind? agreeing with the referee's decision there when the referee was 
spotty at best yesterday anyway um in terms of what we saw but when you're going to an assistant referee that has those three replays and they're going no that you know that's not clear and obvious it it's very strange would have changed the course of the game as well right because this is what one big change that happened in this game is we came out actually firing on all cylinders the first 10 minutes we looked pretty good uh which is very alien uh (laughs) viewing for for us um and you just think if if we'd got that penalty gone ahead you just then we can play our game then we play our game of comfort possession football we're not desperate to try and get the goal we nullify some of the counter-attacks so it's it's such an annoying situation to have been put into um and then of course you know we uh, i don't know what you thought about this sort of the switch up between the two halves but we were all over them the first half and then the second half did not feel like that but annoying that we didn't get that penalty i, I don't understand how they didn't call it yeah and i think you're right it changes the whole course of the game because their entire game plan of hitting us on the break is dead and buried then yep they're not yep. going to be able to do that. And I don't see them scoring in any other format because they didn't they didn't create any major chances barring the ones where we gifted those breaks. And at that point, you know, it's it's one of those. I mean, we did it last two seasons ago where we beat them 1-0 with the Trossard goal. It was almost exactly the same. We we scored a goal and just burnt them out for over the course. It was not good to watch, but we got three points. And it would, it, I think it would have been exactly the same. Um, I think yeah. in terms of the, the the two halves, I think you're right. It, again, like we're we're putting out two very different, well, not very, but quite different performances uh, between the two, and we've really got to work on that. And to add to the last thing with with Dan Byrne, I thought he was, it was the the template perfect version of what Dan Byrne is in one player, like in one game. <laughs> For the first 45 minutes, he was an absolute liability. He was responsible for just about every single Josh Sargent break. Yeah, he gave one real bad one away. Yeah. And in the second half, he made two challenges that would have like made Bobby Moore clap. Like, <laughs> like it on was Pookie, the, that one on Pookie was incredible. Just unbelievable. Like, it was just so unbelievably timed. And with a lad with legs that long, you go, you like it makes it even better because you're like, how are you, you know what I mean? The the adjustment you have to make for a lad of that size, um, it was, it was a frustrating day at the office. Um, we should have got the penalty. I think we would have scored it, uh, and I think we would have gone on to win it. But on the other end of the end of the the stick, we didn't get it, and we also got a huge let off with uh, Josh Josh Sargent missing a wide open goal. Um, I would have, it's going to be on a question of sport in five years time where it's like, what happens next? Let's spot the ball. Uh, Because there is no way that that should have done anything but go in. Um, I've seen a couple of people post like screenshots of it and and some people underneath saying like, especially uh, American fans who are obviously very much behind Josh and, and a lot of the American players that are playing abroad. Uh, You know, it doesn't look as easy as it is it actually works easier when you watch it in real time. Um, it was absolutely appalling. It w- it w- not only not only was it just under hit, I think it was also going wide. So it, in, in terms of just a, a massive let off for us, right? And I think even Sanchez was laughing after it as well. And it's just sort of, yeah, you, you get away with that one and, you know, there you go, right? It's, it's that those guilt edge chances in the Premier League and those fine margins that you need. And if you don't take them, 
you you do struggle. Um, for us, incredibly funny. For Norwich fans, you, you're kicking yourself. It's a, uh, Sanchez has got that in his locker, though, isn't it? We talked about this over the last few weeks. And it's annoying because it felt like in the last few games he'd got some of that out of his system. He looked a bit dodgy in the first couple of, of games we had and then he came into himself a bit. That was all on him. That was horrible. Um, do, do you think it's overconfidence? I don't know. I, I don't, it's a good question. Perhaps. I mean, you, you'd expect him to be com- a confident lad at the moment. Luis Enrique giving him chances with a national team. Like he's... And look, we're, cle- we're keeping clean sheets. It's not like he's not doing his job well between the posts. I get nervous when he comes out. He's he's a very smart player too. I don't know if you've ever listened to any of his interviews, but like he's he's clearly a very clever dude and he's only young. And I wonder if he tries to be too smart sometimes. I think overconfidence is definitely a, an option. Uh, I just wonder if he in real time being behind everybody was like, Dan Burns being caught out time and time again. I'm going to nullify this. And just his overconfidence then led to him misreading the entire thing. He read the game really well. He made the right read. He just executed it at the total wrong time. (laughs) And I wonder if that's the overconfidence piece where it's like, yeah, I've got this. No worries. (sighs) I, I know that that was, and that was right at the end of the first half, wasn't it? Uh, and, and that would have been a, a tough time to concede a goal, but you, you would hope then the second half would have come out with a different perspective. But one thing that I did notice from the first half, and I don't know if you guys did as well, was, and although it hasn't actually resulted in anything, so it's a bit weird to say this, but Mope and Trussard are getting a lot more comfortable playing with one another as opposed to being in this three, them as a sort of, two up top partnership as a nine and 10. Um, they're putting together some nice little bits of play. Trossard cracked that shot against the bar that was was laid back to him from Mope. And Mope's proving to be a very unselfish player time and time again and putting Trossard and other players in a nice position. And I think that's it's so easy for us to be like, well, he didn't score. These guys didn't score. They're not doing a good job. But I was really impressed with how they play with, with one another in the first half. And I think for Neil, I agree with everything you said, but I want him to. I want him to keep a little bit of that selfishness. Mm-hmm. There was once or twice yesterday. I was like, just hit it because if it's if it bounces off someone or spills, you've got like Moda and Trossard were both ahead of him, and it's like it just needs one spill, and it's in. And yeah, it's not often, but like, and it's so hard to find that balance. And he's young, and I think he will find it to become like a proper box-in-the-box striker, but, like, just every... There was, I think there was only two times yesterday it was like, just hit that one. That's the one you want to hit right now. And he's just not. He's being too generous. And that's something that we've got to... Because before that, he was being too selfish. He was yeah. hitting everything. And mm-hmm. it's, he needs to find a balance. Um, but he clearly is working on it and learning. So I'm not too concerned about it. Yeah. Uh, elsewhere, just real quick to go off script, not that we have a script. Uh, <laughs> Newcastle United Tottenham has been suspended. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you are able to watch it at the minute, Adam. I'm not. I just saw it on Twitter. Uh, a Newcastle United fan collapsed in the homestand. Uh, Regulon, Regulon, whatever you say his name, uh, identified the, the furore and told the ref to stop game uh, so that things could calm down. Uh, and Eric Dyer ran to the dugout and got the defibrillator out uh, and did all of that stuff 
like so quick. Um, just brilliant, brilliant yeah. to see. Like I think, you know, that the the the, the Christian Eriksen stuff has clearly reverberated around the, yep. the the footballing world because that kind of reaction is not one that I would have expected to see prior. Um, you know, you see stuff like that happen sometimes in the stands once every now and again, um, and you just don't really see much after that. You know, it's just like, oh, that happened. The commentators comment on it, and that's it. Um, today, the game has been suspended, and and the players have possibly paid played a genuine part in saving a person's life. So yeah. that's really Massive. cool stuff. Massive. Incredible. Yeah. Back on script. <laughs> uh, players, um, man of the match. Uh, I have to ask you for one. Um, I can go first if you're struggling. Uh, I've got one. It's it Josh it Sargent <laughs> for us. <laughs> it's tough. It's tough to argue with it, honestly, um, <laughs> because it was such a uh, such a poor day at the office for him. Um, I've, I've, yeah, I've not seen many poor striking performances like that before against us. I do have a real one though, but you, you go first. I don't want to steal the thunder. There's no thunder to steal. Uh, I I'm going to go with Dunk. Yeah, um, that was it. And I tell you why. I, he looked like the only defender that didn't get caught out yesterday. Um, he did an awful lot of covering work, and it's not his fault. He's not quick enough sometimes to cover it. He's reading it. He's just not quick enough to get his legs there on a break, and that's not his fault. Um, I thought he was very good yesterday. I thought that. Without him, we probably would have conceded um, if we'd have been playing any other centre-half there instead. Uh, and he once again, you know, provided some danger at set pieces. And and I thought he was very good yesterday uh, in, in what was a rather poor side. Uh, not bad, just poor, just average to poor. Um, I, th- I thought Dunk was good <laughs> in comparison to, to the rest of them. Yeah, I'm I'm right there in agreement with you. Dunk was my pick. My backup was Lalana because I thought he did a really good job um, in in sort of controlling a lot of the play, building up our play. Um, I also this is a bit cliche to say this, but I thought the fans were amazing. Um, a lot they outsung and were louder than the whole rest of the ground. The Norwich fans, um, and it was not it was nice to hear that. Um, and I think that although it didn't result in a goal or anything like that, you can't, the fact that the year that we had, the year and a half that we had prior to this, it was, it was good to hear them in full, full, full voice. It's, yeah, it's, it's still nice to hear, you know, given this season, the fans have been back in, in bits and pieces. Uh, it's always nice to hear, especially, yeah, when you outsing an entire stadium. Um, I think, you know, that, you know, where give them their due. Um I, 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 it sounds like a cop out, but I think Dunk with second most touches, presses, blocks, you know, I think just what he brought in terms of comfort to the rest of the team and, and his reading of the game. Um, you know, we, we always wax lyrical about how good he is on each on these, and, and we always say that he goes under the radar, etc. Um, with a with a sort of a, I won't say a stalemate, but with a with a game like yesterday, you can see where he shines now in terms of just you know what what he does, what he brings to the team, and what he brings to the other players as well. I think what annoys me a little bit is the fact that, um, and this is a well the big choir preach, but annoying that he isn't called up ahead of the, your Connor Cody's and your Tyrone Mings and things like that because he's he's such a stellar player. 
um, especially for us playing sides like Andorra, like call him up, see if he can do something for you. I know he's not 24 years old and Southgate likes to think towards the future, but he's a heck of a defender on his day. And if there's a man that you want in the middle of the box to throw his body on the line in a World Cup semi-final for England, I mean, who is that? Him and Maguire? Like, I'm not sure there's any other central defender in, in the squad that I would have more faith in being able to make that block and, and save the game than um, one of those two. Well, when M- Maguire is more of his head, isn't it? But the, yeah. Big old <laughs> Just slab head foreheads. Head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did, I don't know if you guys saw one of the Leicester goals yesterday of Maguire just standing there, but I'll, I'll send it to you afterwards. I think it's just a, a good off topic point to make in terms of one of the goals was him just standing there. Um, I think the, the quote was, this is what 80 million pounds gets you. Um, You've got to think as well. Like In addition to that, Maguire's always he's become a little bit of a parody at this point because obviously he starts for England, but with Stones, Stones isn't even playing for City at the moment. So you just, Gareth has got, he's got to think about what's going to happen. Do you play a pairing of players that one doesn't even play week in, week out and, and both is, have a mistake? Pep is, it's an interesting one actually, because we've got Manchester City next. Pep is on, in full on fraud mode when it comes to fantasy <laughs> premier league. He, he really he is. has no ideas. Like he is, it's almost like he really is spinning a wheel this year uh, in terms of what that starting 11 looks like. Um, we've, you know, our last three games have all been draws, uh, some better than others. Um, Graham Potter is a manager that I think has an incredible way of putting together such a unique game plan for teams as good as this. Um, and I'm not even going to try and guess what he's going to look like. I'm not even going to try and guess the starting 11. Feel free if you'd like to. Um, we we beat Man City and Liverpool this time last year uh, in the in the games against them last year, head to head. They don't have a they don't have a striker. What what are you hoping results wise from uh, from Manchester City next weekend? games like this I go in hoping um, to not be embarrassed uh, that's pretty much it I I don't think it, I just think it's it goes back to the conversation we had right at the start of this is that yes we are every side quote and quote is capable of beating another we got points out of them last year I know all these things happen uh, Pep respects Graham Potter massively and that's for his tactical analysis as you said but the fact remains Man City have spent more on their bench than we have on our entire squad. Um, and at that point, there is a regression to the mean in terms of results that comes out. This is a really long-winded way of me saying I anything we get out of this game is is a win for me. I, I, I think it's probably going to be too soon for Webster to come back in. I think we're missing Webster a lot. Um, not from a defensive standpoint from an attacking standpoint, because he was very pivotal in our early games and started to build up the play from the back. And I really think we're missing that. I'm wondering whether um, Graham will be toying with the idea of having McAllister uh, as more of a part of the team earlier in the game. McAllister should have come on for me in about the 60, 65th minute yesterday. Uh, He turned things around a little bit. He was that controlling central mid-forward magician that we needed to break down Norwich. Um, so we'll see if he comes in. Yeah, I think, 
yeah, results aside and bits and pieces like that, you know, you just you just hope that we make a good account of ourselves and like try and play our game or, you know, yeah, don't get overrun by this team that, you know, have spent more on two players than our stadium entirely cost. Uh, you know, it, so it, like that makes it worse. <laughs> it I, like I was that. trying, I was trying to one up you down. Yeah, did. you did. You really um, did. But, it, it, but, you know, there's, that's the level, right? We, we talked about Newcastle and their investments earlier, you know, in, in terms of what, what we're up against here, you know, you, you, you go and beat Brentford away, you go and, you know, win at Watford at home and you, you get a point against Norwich, you know, we are fourth in the Premier League, but, you know, there there are levels and bits to, to, this, to this league. And this is one of those games where it's, you know, I don't say damage limitation, but if you play your own game and you try and be proactive rather than, um, you know, sort of 11 men behind the ball and, and try and, you know, escape a point, I think that's pretty dim viewing. Um, you know, we, we beat them last year. I think we can take the game to them as long as we play our game. Um, and, you know, like, like Adam said, don't get embarrassed. I think, you know, that, that'll be enough for me personally. Yeah, I agree with you both. Uh, I was saying the other day to someone else, they were like, oh, you're expecting to get six points from six? I was like, I will bite your hand off for two. <laughs> like two. Like two draws here would be incredible results given who they are uh, and our continued growth. Um, we have no right to either of them. Uh, they sh- they both, you know, both Manchester City and Liverpool should, should be beating us. Uh, Liverpool looked on a different planet yesterday. Um, that's the best I've seen yeah. them for some time. Salah's in superb form. Yeah. it's it's amazing isn't it like you just have to marvel at how he's playing at the moment one thing i will just say to counter everything that we just said uh is that uh i'll give myself some credit because once in every thousand stupid points that i make sometimes there's one or two okay ones and i was i said norwich worry me and they could be a, a slip up game for us and i said that we play in a way at the moment where you don't need to be us. In some ways, we'll be ourselves. And that case in point is that Josh Sargent chance with Sanchez yesterday. We could easily have lost that game. The difference when you play someone like a City is we don't get to play that pushed up 70% possession game and get hit on the counter. They will control the game. We won't get a choice over that. We'll try and do it in fits and starts. But it means we then get to see potentially what Kukureya and Lamptey can do on a break against City uh, and use some of the pace that we have on the wings, um, sit back with three players sat in front of our, our back three slash five and see what we can do. Um, that might present a slightly different scenario than what we've seen in these last two games where we just haven't looked like really scoring properly. Yeah, and it's these games that I feel we play best in because of that. Mm-hmm. Because we don't we don't seem to have the personnel to carve teams apart that sit back, sit back, sit back. But we sure as hell have the personnel to be able to totally ruin a team's day when uh, when they're so used to being able to dominate possession as well. And it's not even so much on the counter. Um, there's just a style about the the way we play where we just totally put them off their game. That that high press especially, um, and I expect to see a lot of that tomorrow um i expect to see huge gap not tomorrow next week uh i expect to see huge gaps in the midfield uh because we're gonna have three or four men around the box for edison and we're gonna have the rest of them on the on the halfway line to prevent that break and i think we're just gonna swarm them um 
and they're capable of playing through the midfield and they can do what they want. And I think that that, that Potter will seed them there. And I think his his battle is going to be winning both thirds and letting them rule the middle of it without without a worry. Because um, he did it. He did that in two previous games and it's worked really well. So it's going to be an interesting one because we are down on staff as well. Basuma plays next week and it's a very different feeling. Um, I genuinely go into yeah. that game thinking we could take a point. Without him, I'm, I'm, I'm of the opinion that I would be happy just not to concede four or five. Uh, and the other thing, though, is that, look, I'm looking at the table right now. Unless Spurs score f- six goals in the next, uh, what, 45 30, minutes. 40 yeah. minutes or so against Newcastle, they might, based on what I'm currently seeing. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, half time now. Then we're sat in fourth. We're sat in fourth. We're sandwiched between the two Manchester clubs uh, on a Tottenham have just gone above. Like Chelsea, Liverpool, Manchester City, Brian and Hove Albion, Tottenham Hotspur, Manchester United. All right, I'll take that. If you, if you read that table to me a few weeks ago, I'll take that. Yep. I, I think that was that was the uh, the silver lining of yesterday, right? You know, we, we said, you know, Norwich can be a slip-up game to, to Adam's point. And, you know, we do we do struggle sometimes against breaking those sort of teams down, um, but you're, you're telling us we're 17th of October. We're sitting fourth in the league after eight games. Like, you know, there's there's no way anyone could have thought of that. And looking at the table, even if we lose these next two, the odds of us being bottom half are very low. Like, we're still going to be in the top ten, even if we get beat by the two best teams in the country. Um, so. You know, there's there's a lot of reasons to be cheerful, uh, even more so when before the international break, we all agreed that we're still looking at those points for survival for first and foremost. Uh, and we have the luxury of watching teams like Watford uh, play with with their new manager boost uh, and having five put past them comfortably. Uh, Burnley are who they thought we were. Thought they were for the last three years. It seems like that that prophecy is finally fulfilling itself. Um, and you know, I, I'm also of the opinion that Newcastle can throw as much money as they want in January if they're 15 to 20 points adrift. They look bad. Like they look appalling. Well, and if we, they keep losing games, we, when we face them in two weeks, yeah, they're after the Liverpool game. Yeah, they are. They might be managed by uh, Stephen Gerrard, Antonio Conte. We don't know. No one. <laughs> <laughs> and they've got Palace and Chelsea in between. Palace away. You know, I I know that everybody thinks they're going to be safe, especially Newcastle fans now. They're going to get, what, £190 million invested in January, they're saying. I, I tell you, if they're as far adrift as I think they're going to be in that bottom three, doesn't matter how much money you throw at it. It's going to be a long, hard slog from January onwards, especially if you end up signing those players in the second part, of, like the, the latter half of January. I I don't think it's as clear cut as people seem to think it is that they're going to be fine. How funny would it be if they went down? Oh, God, it'd be wonderful. It'd be that would be wonderful very- stuff. <laughs> I, I mean, just in, in terms of you, you look at the table and you're looking from the bottom down. Um, 
other sort of teams, you know, we talked about how high up Brentford are, but you're also talking about how low leads are right now. Um, you know, we we often talk about second season syndrome and, you know, we saw it with Sheffield United, you know, coming eighth and then all of a sudden everyone knew what they were about. So you you get you get the the idea. Um I'm not saying they're gonna be anywhere near it, but I'm I'm saying one win and four draws out of eight games is vastly different to last year. And if they don't start to get those results they could be pulled into that bottom six or seven that we typically see fighting against each other, um, especially with the result yesterday. And they've got a couple of massive games coming up. They've got Wolves at home, Arsenal, and then Norwich. Um, you know, they, have, they have to get something from those. If they're not picking up points from there, I think you can safely say at that point, they're part of that bottom chunk. Um, and I think you've, you've smashed it in terms of the Sheffield United comparison in the, and the, the, the second season syndrome stuff. This is a team that are second in the league for yellow cards. They're not, they're just outright not operating correctly. And they've not lost any of their play. Calvin Phillips is still playing almost every minute, you know, like these big players that are supposed to be their star players. Stuart Dallas, who was incredible last year, still playing almost every minute. Rafinha, who looked amazing last year, missed one game, which was this one. Um, you know, it's it's not like they've changed their personnel and they've added a couple of players that are supposed to be very good. You know, they've signed Jack Harrison on a permanent. They've signed that fella from Barcelona. Um, I think you're right. And I'm not at all surprised by it, if I'm honest. Uh, a team like that, that plays as gung-ho as they do, is always going to be subject to problems at some point in a Premier League like this because... The teams that are in and around them, like your Burnleys and your 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 Watfords, even like your Southamptons, your Palaces, they just they know exactly how to to build out and and stop you from performing well. Um, and you have to be incredibly on your game to be able to even beat teams like that at that point. And we're seeing it with Brighton. <laughs> yeah, and I'm by no means saying that we can't be part of that bottom chunk because we have been for the last four years. And um, you know, we but we know what it's like. Um, and I think you give 12, 13 games in, you start to see, as we said, the Premier League table formalising in terms of where and whereabouts you expect those teams to be. Um, so you, you look at it right now, you get a good indication. I normally look at it after 10, we're eight in. So, you know, uh, just a point that, you know, the next couple of games could define where actually you might end up in the table from a from an area perspective at the very least. Cool. I got I got one other thing to add, not on this topic, but I, I want to flash to everyone's favourite conversation topic, which is the Belgian Jupiler Pro League. Um, I love a bit of Belgian Pro League. Yeah, uh, because we we we've caught ourselves in a bit of a weird dichotomy where we've loaned a couple of players out to the Belgian league, in which Matoma is currently starring for the team at the top of the league, and poor Moises Casado is on loan at a club rock bottom of the league. Uh, Matoma scored a hat-trick yesterday, I believe. In 45 minutes. Yeah. Came on at halftime with yeah. 10 men. They played with 10 men for the entire second half too. And they were 2-0 down. Remind me what position he kind of currently plays in. It's a left winger. Huh. So, Who are we missing at the moment? Left winger. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. the, the whole... The whole um, USG thing is all very interesting. Obviously, you know, just getting into the league last year um, to now 10 games in, top of the league. Um, 
you you start looking at that and you know how convenient is it that you know to play european football in the belgian league gets you a work permit a lot quicker um so then there might be a for like a, a plan in place that has been there for a few years um but uh, it's good to see matoma probably finding his feet and obviously scoring goals um left winger is duly what we need and hopefully next year uh the formalities can be completed and what's mad is this is a team that like you said just came up last season barely changed they haven't made a huge amount of signings. The the Dennis Undav fella shot them up the up the leagues. The the Van Zier guy also was part was hugely important in coming up. Uh, you know they've got a couple of players in that centre midfield. The Teddy Tuma fella, whatever his name is. Like these are all players that were vital to promotion, and now they're kind of cruising at the top of the league, where you don't see that happen in in any top division you know like that's not something you see anywhere usually um especially unless they've had like massive amounts of investment and they clearly haven't because they're playing with the same squad um it's just mad how tony Bloom is able to just whatever he touches seems to turn to gold um it i, I can't imagine how thrilled the usg fans must be because this isn't some new club this is a this is a very old uh, very well-established football team in Belgium that have had highs and lows, and it seems like they are about to hit an insane high. Recruitment and the setup at this club is proving to continually proving to be fantastic. Awesome. That's about it then, boys. Uh, we've covered a lot. Um, some good, some bad, some controversial. Uh, and we will be back next week uh, for Manchester City review. <laughs> it could be a grim one. Uh, who knows? <laughs> um, but yeah, if you've got nothing else, uh, I will let you get back to your day uh, and we'll wrap up. Hoping for a goal next week. Just a goal would be great. <laughs> yeah, you too. Well, thank you so much. I'll speak to you guys later. Cheers, All guys. Right. Cheers, boys.